Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining this podcast. Uh, today we are in a experimental bookmark Dusana field office, so it's uh, quite um, messy, but that doesn't matter because you won't be able to see it regardless. Today we're here with Marieke van Aarde. Yes, and I can confirm the mess, but it's a nice sort of mess. <laughs> Thank you very much for being here. It's my pleasure. <laughs> I would like to know how are you doing? I am extremely busy, as I think many academics and teachers are in these crazy COVID times. Uh, all my teaching is online, and this year I teach both at archaeology and history, so it's extra busy. Uh, at the same time, I am also coordinating remotely uh, excavation in Pakistan, which is uh, wrapping up over the next couple of weeks. It's going really well, but that is also a lot of work. Uh, and at the same time, I am applying for new jobs because unfortunately I have to leave the archaeology faculty at the end of the semester. Uh, it's just the way it is for postdocs uh, these days and uh, that is also very time consuming. So at least, how shall I put this, I don't suffer from COVID boredom. Um, so I guess that's a good thing in a way. Yeah, I guess so. Well, thank you for making time for us then. Sure. These interviews, we always start off with some rapid-fire questions. Do you prefer camping or hotels? Uh, camping, yeah. All right. Uh, realistically, I end up in hotels a lot when you go to conferences and stuff. I mean, in the before world. Um, but I love camping. Uh, you know, the smell of the outdoors and cooking your own food on the fire. And, uh, wood fires. Beach or forest? Oh, ideally a forest which ends immediately into a beach. Um, it kind of depends on my mood. I, I do love the seaside. I uh, I am a kayaking. Uh, I do kayaking. I love swimming, but I also love being in a forest. So this is a very difficult choice. So yeah, I, I cheat a forest that goes into a beach. Yeah. Great. Um, what's your favorite food? Oh, also very difficult. Um, Hard to pick. Uh, at the moment, I am exploring more and more Indian cuisine. So uh, lots of amazing vegetarian dishes, a palak paneer, things like this. Uh, anything with proper garam masala. I still suck at cooking it. But um, yeah, I really love it. I can always give you tips if you need them. I'm good at cooking it. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Book or movie? Book, definitely. Yeah, I'm a huge reader. Uh, I also love movies, um, but uh, reading is definitely something I love doing. Um, so, yeah, I, I also own a ridiculous amount of books. Yeah. Could you give us an estimate? Uh, up to 500. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. That's non-academic books. Okay. Um, <laughs> I the, uh, uh, Academic books also here in my office. Oh, yeah, no, it's I, no, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Very many books, yeah. A medium-sized personal library. Yeah, something like that. Have yeah. you read all of them? Most of them, yeah. Um, I'm one of those people, when I buy a book, I have to read it. I'm not one of those who just stocks up on books and has piles of to read. I, I, am, I really love reading. It, it's also one of the things that's most relaxing after busy days of lecturing and being behind computer screens the whole time. Uh, reading is, is extremely uh, therapeutic uh, as well. So. That's great. Yeah. That sounds low. Currently reading. Uh, I am currently reading. Uh, yeah, it's immediately a very literary book. Uh, a new book by uh, Ishiguro uh, Clara and the Sun. It's recently released, and it's a 
sort of literary sci- science fiction book that explores the human condition, and it's really beautiful. So. And do you have a f- all-time favorite? No, <laughs> I have so many favorites. Uh, no, it is impossible to pick. Uh, it also depends on your mood. There's all kinds of genres that uh, that that are available. So no, I I really couldn't pick one book. No, that's fair enough. That's yeah. that's totally fair. Yeah, an author. Uh, that's sort of the same thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's really hard. Um, I'll I actually I'll single out one author that I recently read. Uh, this is an Indian author, uh, Chitra Banerjee uh, Divakaruni, and she wrote two beautiful retellings of the Mahabharata and the Ramayana stories, um, and uh, Palace of Illusions and Forest of Enchantments. They're called, and they are immensely readable, very uh, human. Uh, sort of depictions of these ancient stories, which I think for archaeologists are also of interest. So um, I really enjoyed her work recently. Uh, so we know you're now working with the Prince Klaus Fund on the excavation project in Pakistan. Would you like to tell a, little, a bit more about what the project is and who it's for? Yeah, sure. Um, the Prince Klaus Fund is our sponsor. Uh, they're not actively involved. They they give us the money, basically. So we're very grateful to them. Um, but this is not only my project. It's uh, I am the co-coordinator together with Abdul Ghani Khan, who is my colleague from Pakistan. And he is at the moment at work uh, in the Karakoram Mountains in Gilgit, Baltistan, uh, with a team of uh, Pakistani archaeologists. They are there to document... Uh, a lot of ancient rock art uh, that have never been studied before and that also currently are under threat, uh, partially by the future building of a dam by a Chinese company that will flood entire valleys full of these rock art um, and also by vandalism, uh, where some of the local communities have damaged the ancient Buddhist rock art uh, because they're not sure what it is um, and uh, there's a lot of superstition about this. Um, so part of our research, on one hand, is very archaeological. It's really documenting uh, and, and mapping out the sites. We're hoping to do 3D scans of the boulders as well. Uh, but the other part is also very much heritage outreach. So we uh, work with the local communities. Uh, and uh, Ghani, my colleague, uh, organizes workshops, educational workshops there to explain uh, what the rock art are, that they're very old, 2,000 year old. Um, and so far we have gotten really positive responses from the local villages there they are now actually helping us identify new sites and they're helping us documenting uh, their own historical heritage before uh, well they get flooded basically so there is some urgency with this project the project is almost ending right now Yes, um, right now uh, um, Ramadan has started in Pakistan, uh, so Ramadan Mubarak, everyone. And uh, this means, of course, that the team can't uh, go out into the field every day uh, without water and food. This is, would not be wise. So the next two weeks, uh, they're going to go through all the data they have so far and finish up some of the uh, documentation. And then end of April, it's the, the end of the project. Um, but it's been uh, almost two months of very intensive field work and we managed to complete two entire sites. So there's a lot of material for publication already. Um, at the same time, while they were documenting these sites, the team also discovered uh, new areas that have never been uh, even photographed before, uh, also full of rock art. Um, so we definitely hope to return 
and continue to work. Um, but for now, uh, yeah, also you have to work within the limits of the budget that you get. So two months was our limit and uh, soon this will be uh, a wrap. And so you said it's a mountainous region. Yeah. So how do I imagine the rock art to be... I guess displayed is that in caves or uh, is that no uh, it's it's an extremely mountainous region it's the Himalayas so uh, of course it's uh, we are not going high up in the mountains because all the rock art is along the the riverbed uh, they followed the ancient trade routes from uh, the Indian subcontinent towards the east um, it's it's hard to explain without images um, basically along these riverbeds there are huge uh, boulders with really hard stone really Himalayan uh, sort of a type of granite um, and sort of uh, all these uh, Buddhist but also animal carvings and inscriptions in um, Brahmin Karoshti are carved sort of usually at eye level on those huge boulders. So they're very dark brown and then the carvings become much lighter because they carve in it. Um, and uh, a lot of the carvings are quite deep. So they're very, very old. Uh, and some of the boulders are really covered in them. Um, and sometimes one boulder contains carvings from different chronologies as well. So some very old prehistoric carvings and then a huge uh, bodhisattva or a stupa are added to it. Um, there's also some regions with more sporadic carvings that you really have to look around and find boulders and look and see if there are carvings. Um, if you want to see images uh, on our website, uh, archaeologistconnected.org, uh, we have a whole page dedicated to this project where we post images. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to uh, to describe. It's also a very beautiful area. I mean, we keep getting these images and that makes the whole travel restriction so hard because it would be so amazing to actually go there. Uh, but it's uh, extremely mountainous, uh, basically... There's this incredibly blue river, mountain river, cutting through dark brown and gray rock. It's a, it's a remarkable landscape, yeah. It sounds amazing. Mm. Mm. When will the dam be built? Um, yeah, good question. Um, the dam has also been delayed because of COVID, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but it is planned for late next year. So that's very soon. I expect it will be a bit later. Might be 2023. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely urgency. Um, one of the regions where we documented rock art at Allen Bridge is not directly threatened by the dam. So even if the dam is built, we can still return there and we have found some new areas there. Uh, but the Chilas area, uh, is directly threatened by this dam. Uh, unfortunately there's nothing really we can do about it, but, um, yeah, we have, we've done a lot of documentation at Chilas. There's still a huge cluster of uh, Buddhist rock art there that's not documented. So we really hope to uh, to find the funds uh, to return there. Yeah. All right. We hope you can also continue next year. Yeah. At least uh, the Pakistani government and archaeology board, uh, they're very happy with the work. And uh, of course, because Ghani and his team, they're Pakistani, it's easier for them to get permits. And this relation has been going really well. Uh, you only really notice once you go there. So from the beginning, it was impossible to set this up. But once we were there and they, the guys got in touch with the local government, it all actually went uh, beyond expectations well. So we do know from them that they would welcome us to return and we would get permits. So that's great. Um, but yeah, all campaigns need, need funding. So there's that. Yeah, not a small issue. 
Uh, you will also be getting some of the um, artifacts here, right? Or not? Um, well, we're not there to actually excavate mm -hmm. uh, because that's not allowed. Um, we are only there to document the rock art and the boulders cannot be uh, transported. No, they are too big also. They're huge. They're incredibly heavy. Um, I mean, when we find uh, evidence of a settlement, if there are survey finds, surface finds like that we surveyed, technically we could take small samples of that. Um, and then we could, uh, you know, do XRF or something like this. But uh, we can't take artifacts. Uh, we don't have that kind of permit. Um, and also, I think it's important that finds from Pakistan stay in Pakistan, yes. seeing the also the colonial history of the British who uh, literally cut off so many uh, decorative parts of excavations like uh, Taxila, for example, and it all ended up in European museums. And even uh, more recently, in the 1980s, it was a German team that documented some of the rock art. Um, they didn't take any of the boulders, but they also uh, didn't share their data with the Pakistani archaeologists. And that, that's, uh, in my opinion, uh, also very foolish because they know the region much better. So why not share? Um, which we definitely will do. But yeah, it depends on how the project uh, develops, on whether we can actually start digging, which I think uh, there's real promise there. There are some indications of settlements but to be sure we need to do some test trenches and things like this but uh, yeah only with official permits with this project and we also you already told us about how you're also looking for a job and how you're rounding up all the courses now how do you deal with such a large workload yeah that's a good question uh, sometimes you don't deal with it that well at all um it is, it is experience, though. I mean, uh, I did my PhD. I finished it like six years ago. But already during my PhD time, I did a lot of teaching. So I've been a teacher here at the faculty for uh, 10 years. And in the beginning, it is it's really hard work. Uh, the load is enormous. Uh, you do get used to it. It's, it gets easier. Um, but yeah, very important is to to recognize the signs when it's becoming too much that you need to tell yourself in time. Now I need a break. I mean, OK, I say this. I often don't have the time to take a break, but even just being aware of it and saying, OK, I'm starting my, my neck is completely, you know, tensing up or you can't sleep. Uh, then you need to uh, take that into hand. Um yeah, but sometimes that's just not possible. That's not good. Uh, I know this is something in academic circles for students and staff that we all face. Um, I think for me, uh, you can perhaps tell I'm somewhat enthusiastic about our research project. Mm -hmm. um, and that helps, I think. If you have passion for what you do, um, it feels less like work. So whenever we're working on the Karakoram project, uh, I get extremely excited about when you get pictures with new finds, you know, it's you bouncing around the house, basically. Um, so when you love what you do, it becomes easier. But still, yeah, um, it, it can be a bit much. So, yeah, my only advice would be keep a close eye on, on, on how you are doing and also try to move a lot. Uh, don't sit behind your computer the whole time. Take walks, uh, talk to people. And um, yeah, that's that's really all that you can do. Yeah. yeah, I think that's great advice as well. How did you end up in archaeology in the first place? Okay, um, 
Well, I mean, going back all the way, uh, I think we could see it coming. When I was four years old, I was already digging in the dirt and climbing trees and things like this. So there's, I think, most archaeology students and people will recognize something like that. Um, but I originally actually uh, started studying classics, um, which is very different. So I, I can still read ancient Greek. Uh, I still do that well. Um, and I finished that study quite well, but I never really felt at home among the classicists. Now, I don't want to say too nasty things, but it's a very different kind of person than archaeologists. Mm. Um, but I did graduate in classical Mediterranean archaeology there. And then uh, I moved around a bit. I lived in London for a while, um, also exploring some options at UCL. But then I really was thinking... Uh, which direction do I want to go in? And that was always archaeology. I was always coming back to, to archaeology. Uh, and then I applied for a PhD here in Leiden and uh, sort of didn't leave for another uh, 10 years. And during that time, I learned a lot of the technical skills as well, like XRFing, lab work. I had to sort of brush up on that. And, um, uh, and yeah, I would say um, I definitely become a fully-fledged archaeologist and I do notice with uh, the classist and historian departments that th there is a difference there is a huge difference in approach um, and uh, yeah how shall I put it a lot of them still regarded that I turned to the dark side <laughs> um, but I see it the other way around <laughs> Um, yeah, I think in archaeology, there's much more room for an international approach and a science-based approach than I have found long ago, longer ago than I'm willing to admit, uh, at the humanities. So uh, I'm still very much, uh, my work is very much rooted as proper science-based archaeology. Yeah. How did you get into this um, Silk Roads archaeology and Egyptology as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, I have a lot of interests, uh, as you can see. Um, well, my PhD topic was uh, culture contact between uh, the Roman world and Egypt. And of course, my background was more with Romans, but I kind of was getting a bit sick and tired of those damned Romans. Uh, so I plunged into Egypt and I adored it. Um, I mean, who doesn't love ancient Egypt? I mean, come on. Um, but uh, it's especially these processes of contact uh, that I really liked with my PhD. And of course, as everyone who's done a PhD will say, it's a huge learning process. And afterwards, the most most of the things that you learn is what not to do or what you should do next. Um, and I think what I took away from that is that it's incredibly valuable to study uh, processes of interaction between different ancient civilizations, also beyond the Mediterranean, but to do this not from a top-down theoretical projecting approach, but to do it bottom-up from a lot of the scientific data that are actually statistically viable. So I took this idea, this, this uh, culture contact connectivity from the PhD and then uh, started to look further east. Um, and I developed a Silk Road course uh, that I know Ikra took. I don't think you took it, right? No. 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 Yeah. So I, I started to develop some ideas and uh, many of the now active members in the team took that course and we started to brainstorm together. Um, and uh, so uh, active student participation was, was definitely at the basis also of this project. And then uh, we gradually over the past six years defined this to different regions where this kind of research needs to be needs to be done. Uh, so that's mainly 
East Africa, which is still Egypt, which is also the, the focus that I am doing in the team a lot, the ports of Egypt uh, and the ancient kingdom of Aksum, which Samatar Botan's PhD is about, and then connections with the Indian subcontinent, which Rishika Dumal's PhD is about for Gujarat, and then our Karakoram project, which is the trade routes in Pakistan. So it all comes together. And the idea is to use all these different transregional data to really study the actual routes that existed um, and then to use those, uh, those data also to ask bigger questions about the impact of this connectivity. So it may sound like I'm sort of hopping about from Egypt to India and what the hell is going on, but it actually is, it is actually quite a natural progression, at least in my head, uh, it is so. Yeah, if you lay it out like this, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yes. Um, speaking of so many destinations and areas, do you have a favorite holiday destination? Oh, um, no, I mean, I love exploring new places, regardless of where they are. I will tell you, seeing the pyramids in Egypt made me ridiculously excited, as the people in my team know. Um so I, I really kind of freaked out. Um, and seeing Tutankhamun in the museum, we were there. There was no one else, hardly any tourists. So we had that whole room for ourselves. It was fantastic. Um, but yeah, I think going out into the world, exploring new places is always amazing. And I, I do get rather excited about it. Um, but it also depends on your mood. Sometimes I really just want to go out into nature and see nothing of people. So uh, I wouldn't say I have one particular favorite uh, destination. And uh, I mean, I am still also somewhat partial to Italy. I lived in Rome in altogether for almost two years, uh, spent a lot of time there. And I mean, yeah, I did love my time there very much. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. I guess every every region has its own charm as well. Yeah, I really couldn't pick one. Um, I want to see them all, so which is <laughs> all the more frustrating right now when you know we can't travel uh, at all. Yeah. So, yeah, are there ones you haven't seen? Oh yeah, I've seen a, a, a very little of the world. Okay. Of course, I mean the, the world is a huge place. So, um, and I also I actually think. Um, it's no use going to a place for a week and then thinking you know it. Um, in my experience, when you're there for at least three months or more or a year, then you start to get to know what a region or a place is really like. Or if you return to it many times or when you have actual friends there or families who live there where you stay. I think being a tourist, um, you basically take your own world with you regardless of where you are. And for me as an archaeologist, collaborating with people from, from many places in the world also really brings you closer to those places. So. A hypothetical situation. Okay. You would have a free Sunday. What? What would you <laughs> what do? What is this? <laughs> um, well, I mean, right now, um, if the weather is good, I would take my kayak and go paddling on uh, a nice lake. And uh, preferably with a bunch of friends or uh, or family. But yeah, this is also difficult right now. Um, and also just, well, lie down in my sofa with a good book and just, just you know, relax. Um, it has happened sometimes over the past months that I get a day in which there's no work. And then, uh, although I have to say when this happens now, 
you do feel the sort of implosion of energy. So the moment you completely relax, you think, oh my God, I'm tired. Um, so yeah, there's that. <laughs> Most likely if that were to happen now, I, I would end up just uh, passed out on my couch. Um, but no, especially when this happens, it's actually really good to go outdoors and to move around and to, um, yeah. Sounds lovely. A bit of sport, a bit of relaxing. Yeah. Would yeah. you would you cook for yourself or would you order oh, yeah. out? No, no, I love I love cooking. Um, so I yeah I would make a sort of a, I can make that into sort of an event. You you pour some nice wine or you grab a beer and you prepare a nice dinner. And uh, but it, it's nicest when you can cook for people. Um, and now we can't host uh, many people, so that's that's a shame. I I used to uh, cook also for the whole team and make large quiches for a whole bunch of people. I love doing that. Um, so yeah, no, I, I definitely cooking over takeout. Yeah. We made an Instagram poll asking people if they had questions for you. And one of the questions that came in many, many times is, do you have any further ambitions or future plans? Uh, any more ambitions than I already have? I'm not <laughs> sure, uh, there's room for it. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I have many plans, but experience teaches me. I mean, I've been in academia for 15 years now that you need many plans for one to work out. Um, I would right now, I really want to continue and expand our research project. So uh, first of all, I need to find a job <laughs> at a university. Uh, that's a kind of a big thing. And this is important because you can't apply for main research grants like the ERC or NVO these days until you have a position so this is this is difficult a lot of work um, and the wider focus of our project is is still often an obstacle uh, here in the Netherlands uh, in historical studies they, they do tend to be more traditional and we have encountered this a lot uh, but I think that's all the more reason to go on so uh, yeah I, I think seeing how the project is going my main ambition is to keep it going and to expand it um, and to include also studies of Sri Lanka uh, in in uh, the wider context um, here as well. So we have India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, and uh, hopefully further south along the East African coast. There are so many potential sites there uh, that no one has cared to look for. Uh, recently, Roman glass was uh, found all the way south in Mozambique. Uh, no one has ever excavated there for ancient sites. Um, that's very ambitious, of course. Um, yeah, apart from work, uh, I mean, I'm very passionate about the work, but I think you will know uh, being an archaeologist is also a way of life. And we often don't fit the sort of standard, oh, let's buy a house and settle down sort of thing. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's also it's a good way of life, I think. It's not always easy, but it is, uh, it, it's very enriching to get to work with so many people from across the world and I do enjoy that very much um, so yeah the very boring answer is pretty much keep going the way I'm going but that's a good sign right that means you're you're doing something you're passionate about uh, but realistically yeah this, this could be tricky and there could be no room in the Netherlands I may have to yet again uh, travel abroad uh, which I'm willing to do, but yeah, if you get a bit older, and I'm not going to say how old I am, um, but yeah, it is also hard sometimes to keep up this nomadic lifestyle. Yeah, 
I can imagine, especially because you grew up in the Netherlands, right? Yeah. So you must have like family a lot here, of family. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, they do understand. Uh, and I'm I'm the only one in my family really with a science career or academic. Um, and they're somewhat bemused sometimes by all the things that I do or the fact that I haven't bought a house by now. Uh, but they are supportive. So that's that's great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we have favorite holiday destination twice. Would you? Twice. Well, um, <laughs> well, the moon, <laughs> you know, there's nice places outside uh, the world. Um, I was actually, well, while looking for all these jobs, it's actually a funny story. Um, and a lot of applications didn't work out or whatever. And I saw this advertisement from the European Space Agency. And it's like, they're looking for uh, astronauts. And you need like a PhD degree or, or whatever. And I was like, I could do this. You know, we could <laughs> go to the space station and we could, you know, do satellite study for archaeology from space. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's realistically very likely. But um yeah, I don't think I uh, I would have that actual ambition, but for a holiday destination, the International <laughs> Space Station would be quite cool. I would be on board for that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if they're listening to this and are like, "Whoa, let's do it!" Oh, how yeah. Can they reach you? I can be contacted. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I think I don't nearly have the digital archaeology skills enough to to do this kind of project in space although i do think there is area for space archaeology um there's uh, i think at nasa there are some actual space archaeologists to look at the human debris left behind on the moon and in space because we are cluttering space with with human stuff uh, but definitely also satellites of course satellite studies um uh, are in yeah connected with with space and telescopes and things like this yeah, yeah. Sounds pretty cool, to be honest. Yeah, who knows? A career change in 10 years or so. All right. Yeah. So aside from this, do you have any plans for the rest of 2021? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I I would very much like to go out on a terrace and have a beer with some <laughs> friends and to see my international friends. I have many in, in uh, London, for example, I haven't seen for so long and uh, across the world. So... Um, yeah, I think also just survive the teaching <laughs> until the end of semester um, and uh, do some publications. But uh, yeah, um, I think my main uh, my main plan is to uh, get a vaccine and uh, hoping that gradually the world opens up a little bit and then we'll see we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm sort of keeping my plans a little bit toned down. Because uh, I, I honestly don't think before the end of the year things are going to miraculously be as they were. Um, yeah, I, I think just go with the flow, really, for the rest of the year. Yeah. Is that also your dream then? Or do you have any different dreams? Dream well, I mean, going with the flow is not exactly a dream. Mm -hmm. um, no, if we're talking about dreams, then yeah, they would be... Uh, you know, un unlimited means to uh, include more students in our project and to go into space and to, um, you know, do BBC-funded documentaries <laughs> with, with epic backgrounds and scores by Hans Zimmer, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Ooh. There goes the microphone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think dreams is good. It's very good to have dreams. Um, but uh, yeah, experience also tells you to keep them a little bit separate from uh, reality. 
um, because you know the yeah especially in a situation like this being uh, having a rational approach actually keeps you sane and uh, manages your expectations but somehow find a balance between the two i think is is, is a good way i do realize uh, there is a difference for students and, and i do want to acknowledge that actually it is really hard for students right now and young people i mean when i was in my early 20s uh, my roaring 20s as i used to call it and i have so many stories that i am not going to share <laughs> um but to think you'd be completely restricted during that time and not to be able to do all this travel and all these crazy things that's that sucks that is really hard and you're stuck behind a computer and you know, you're still building your future. I mean, okay, I'm looking for jobs, but I have a massive CV. I already have a whole background, so I have something to build on. And I think for students, young up-and-coming researchers, it is actually really hard. Um, so I, I'm very aware of that. Also during teaching, I'm seeing that. So I really hope that for young people, it's going to change uh, very soon. I, I think I can, can hang on like this fine for another six months, it's okay you know I have a lot to keep me busy and I have a whole project uh, but I think if I were a student in my early 20s it would be much harder. We always give the guests the opportunity to plug something they would like to plug. Gosh. It um, can be anything even world peace. Well or... I think world peace is always nice you know <laughs> I mean um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and to keep it somewhat archaeological, and, and to tie into your world peace, uh, I, I think world peace, or at least good relations between people, they go step by step by taking small steps. And um, with our Karakoran project right now, we are on a small scale in, okay, in huge mountains, so not that small a scale, but we are seeing this, that by doing a two-month project and reaching out to uh, local communities who are living in a completely different world than, than we here at the faculty are, you can reach people and you get a positive response and you find areas where your ideas match and, and where you can exchange. And then you start to get real understanding. I mean, of course, it's fine to have differences, but to interact, to actually go out there and to have these these small little victories and these little moments where you say, this is great, we're connecting... I think that's the only way to uh, to really, uh, you know, overcome biases and, and things like this. And uh, I'm very happy with our project that it's not just really cool rock art that we're finding. And of course, that is that is a major point. Um, but I think this is an added value to archaeology that should be part of, of archaeology as well. And also, I think, to regardless of the traditional sort of niches that a lot of academia is stuck in and that is that is the truth uh, in most departments uh, people stay in a very narrow speciality and they don't always uh, work together or branch out um, I think even though it is more difficult to have a broader perspective and to reach out and you often find obstacles it is very worth doing and I think it's actually really important to do this because a lot of misinterpretations still exist, a lot of data remains unstudied and we should not just all stay in the same circle and twirl around but we should reach out and uh, yeah this is not always easy uh, but I do think it is valuable. So with that thank you very much for listening as always be kind, stay safe and we will see you on the next episode. 
I'll see you. Yeah. You can. Okay.